0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I am your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We're going to look at the entirety of 1 Peter chapter 5 this week on the podcast, so we want to jump right in. And a good deal of this chapter deals with elders. If you notice verse number 1, it says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder, so Peter was an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So elders' roles to the flock and also Christians' roles to the elders are going to be discussed in verses 1 through 5. Peter says that he wants to exhort the elders. He wants to encourage them, as he is a fellow elder, he wants to encourage them to do a good job on this extremely important task. The first thing that I learned from this is that there is a right way and a wrong way to be towards my eldership. If Peter was careful to exhort or to encourage elderships rather than to talk down to them, don't you think that we also need to be careful in, uh, exhorting and encouraging our elderships? If you think about it, Peter was an apostle. So certainly, I think that's a step above uh, an elder or an eldership, uh, but he still wanted to encourage them. He wanted to help them do their job in such a way that he, he's certainly not bashing them here, but he is talking to them about some very important parts of the role, uh, as elders. There are a few quick cross, cross references that I'd like you to look at for this. Uh, 1st Timothy 5 verses 1 and 2. First Timothy 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man. King James says elder, but exhort him as a father. Uh, Encourage him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So notice there is a right way and a wrong way for Christians to conduct oneself in the house of God. And uh, that means that we have to treat one another properly. And that would include uh, those of us who are not elders. Treating our elders with respect that is due this extremely important position, also, I'd like for you to look at first Timothy five verses nineteen and twenty, that says, "Do not receive an accusation against an elder except for or from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, but the rest also may fear, so sometimes that does have to happen. there is some rebuke that may have to take place, uh, but we need to remember that we are not to receive accusations against elders except from two or three witnesses. So there is a proper process that would be involved in situations like that. And then also I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So that is uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17. If you back up to Hebrews 13, verse 7, something similar is said, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So we are to remember and obey those who rule over us. That would be the elders within the body of Christ, and we are to be submissive to them. Elders watch over the souls of the flock, and they disciple the souls uh, in the faith. Acts 20, in verse 28, says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Of course, it's also important not to overlook the qualifications for elders, and uh, I don't really have time to go into that for this particular podcast, but Go and study 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as Titus chapter 1 and you will find the qualifications for elders there and those are qualifications that must be um, there in the life of someone who wants to be an elder. I do want to turn your attention though to some other qualifications that really are found here in 1 Peter chapter 5. If we look at verses 2 and 3 very carefully, I would add that really these are qualifications for elders too. Uh, usually we don't turn to these passages because we, we mainly turn to the passage in Timothy and the passage in Titus. But I want you to notice that elders are required to do these things in verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So we are told that elders must shepherd the flock. Shepherds, that's another name for elders, along with presbyters and pastors, and bishops and overseers. And these are all synonyms for the same office, biblically speaking. A shepherd, if he's going to do his job to shepherd the flock, he's going to disciple the flock. And he'll do that by, uh, things such as taking them by the side and discussing everyday life issues with them and checking in on them and seeing how they're doing, uh, teaching them by way of Bible classes, perhaps, or maybe occasionally preaching sermons or, uh, here in Marietta, Oklahoma. All three of our elders are involved highly with, uh, a Monday night Bible study that we have. And we do those in people's homes in groups and, uh, all the elders are involved and it is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And and truly that's a big, you know, part of the process of discipling, uh, Christians, uh, when they do that. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, what about this? Jesus said that we make disciples through evangelism, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. So certainly, uh, they need to be involved in shepherding the flock by adding to the flock. Uh, by evangelizing when they have opportunity. So obviously there's a lot to this and, and this is not something that can be done, uh, once or twice a week. But really, you know, if you think about it, these types of commitments to shepherding, uh, elders may, depending on what's going on, they may be at the, uh, church building multiple nights a week having meetings with members that are going through various things or, uh, maybe meeting with the preacher and, and the deacons and uh, planning things out, et cetera. So in other words, this is a very highly involved role in the church. Shepherds, uh, elders, they hopefully understand how highly involved this process and this role is uh, as they shepherd the flock. And so any man who just expects to be there on Sunday and Wednesday and that's really all he's interested in, well, that kind of man does not need to be uh, serving in an eldership. But notice also serving as overseers. This is another one of those names for elders that we mentioned. And the idea is overseeing the day-to-day operations of the church. So in other words, kind of the management of it, if you will, uh, but even more so than the management of the day-to-day things, also, again, overseeing the spiritual matters, uh, developing plans for evangelism, perhaps, or uh, edification and, Bible classes and benevolence, uh, hiring preachers and firing preachers uh, when when necessary, uh, appointing deacons, scheduling events, uh, developing programs or overseeing programs uh, in the church, trying to keep tabs on those who have been faithful in their attendance and those who have not, Um, just keeping an eye out for people who seem to be struggling. Uh, These are all you know, parts of the process, if you will, of overseeing a local congregation of the Lord's church. And again, as Acts 20 verse 28 says, feeding the church of God who he has purchased with his own blood and the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of that congregation. So obviously the list of things that elders are going to be involved in is quite long. And we as everyday Christians, we're serving under elders. We need to remember that. We need to remember that, uh, the task of the eldership is quite difficult. Um, and I mention a lot in classes and sermons on elders. Um, I mention I have a book in my office called Awake at Night by Bl- by Glenn Colley. And, uh, truly, if elders are doing their job, there's going to be many nights, many nights that are sleepless nights where they are just struggling to uh, run through their mind. What do I do in this situation? What should I do here? And having to study God's word to try to know the best course of action and praying about it and, and maybe seeking counsel from their fellow elders or, or maybe other eldership, elderships that have dealt with particular problems before. So uh, definitely not an easy job by any, any means. And so when Peter says that he exhorts the elders. He truly means it. He's encouraging them as a fellow elder to uh, take the job seriously and to do their best. Peter also says not by compulsion, but willingly. Certainly, one of the qualifications for elders is they need to desire the work. If I may say this, I think the church as a whole has far too many men. Let me repeat that. Far too many men that are otherwise qualified but don't desire the work. And That's a shame, but it's also really a a dereliction of duty. It's neglecting to do something that they should do. And there are many congregations that do not have elders at all, not because there are no men available necessarily, but because they have men who won't step up and fill the office because they don't desire the work. And I have to say this, and I won't say it lovingly, but uh, maybe there's a, a Christian man who's listening to this who would qualify to be an elder but for whatever reason doesn't desire the work, I want to ask you this. When you get to the day of judgment and God says, okay, I see uh, in your paperwork, and obviously I'm kind of joking there, but I see in your paperwork that uh, you were a CEO of a small business in your community and you were actively involved in uh, the community club and uh, you were the t-ball coach and you did all these different things. Why didn't you want to serve as an elder in the church? You obviously have the ability to do it. Why didn't you do it? So I want to encourage men if they're, if they are, you know, qualified, but, but don't desire the work, you need to ask yourself, well, what's it going to be like on the day of judgment if you get there and God asks you that question? So again, that's something very, very grave to think about, but I encourage you to think about it. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. The King James says not for filthy lucre. Did you know that an elder can actually be paid to essentially be a full-time elder? Now, you don't hear of that very often, but the Bible actually teaches that that can be. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, it uh, says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, double honor, if you look at the next verse, 1 Timothy 5 verse 18, the double honor what he's meaning by that is read this. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. He's talking about wages. And uh that scripture is certainly talking about the principle that the the laborer is worthy of his hire. So, yes. Elders can be paid as full-time elders. I don't know that I've ever seen that, but I don't know that it is completely unheard of. Uh, but with that principle in mind, think about this: What if an elder says, "Okay, that's who I want to be," and it's all about the money? Well, obviously, the money is not to be a motivator for an elder. He is not to be guilty of filthy lucre, but he is to take the role of elder eagerly because he wants to serve the Lord in this extremely important capacity of which he is qualified to do so. Not lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. If a man has a power trip or an ego or an attitude of my way or the highway, then that man doesn't need to be an elder in the Lord's church, because that's lording over God's heritage for selfish reasons. But if he wants to serve, if he wants to be accountable, if he wants to be an example to the flock, an example to the believers, and and he's qualified, then by all means, let that man serve as an elder. Encourage that man to serve as an elder because he will be a good one. Well, we want to look at verse number four. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd, who is that? Well, that's Jesus. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So not only is Peter an example of a good lowercase s shepherd or elder, but Jesus is also the chief capital S shepherd. And Peter says if elders rule well, then when the chief shepherd or the chief elder appears, then they're going to receive the crown of glory that will not fade away. Look at verse number five. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, again, probably has some application here for not only the elderly in general, but for the elders. There is important application here that is crucial for every church member to submit to the elders. Again, we read that in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. This is extremely important. Uh, Sometimes factions form in congregations. And maybe one faction follows this elder. And another faction, uh, maybe in a divided eldership, follows a different elder. That is a recipe for disaster. That That is a recipe for a church split. And we don't ever, ever need that. Uh, elders, uh, whether there's just two or there's three or four or five or however many there are, elders need to remember that it's not about them. It's about the eldership. And so... I guess in, in an eldership, every elder has a vote, right? And so uh if the eldership decides that we're going to go this direction and maybe an elder or two get outvoted, if you will, well, they need to go ahead and submit to the eldership, just like Christians are expected to submit to the eldership. Now, I will, of course, say this. Uh, if the direction that they're going is sinful, if it is unscriptural, well, then that's another story. Uh, we certainly should not submit to sinfulness, to unscripturalness. But I'm talking about in the realm of opinion, in the realm of just day-to-day things that are going on in the church and and a decision is made, then we have the responsibility to submit to the eldership. Look at verse 5, the second part. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now we're going to get into an attitude of humble submission for the next few verses. It is always supposed to be the attitude of a Christian to have an attitude of humble submission. This was certainly the attitude that Christ had. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 22, which says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And so when Peter says, yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, this means that we need to have this attitude all the time. We need to submit to one another. We need to be clothed with humility. And that means that we yield to one another. It means that we are not only To look for our own interest, but also for the interest of others. Philippians 2 and verse 4. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Notice, under the mighty hand of God. We need to ask God to help us to be humble. We cannot truly be humble ourselves if we do not acknowledge God as sovereign and Lord and place ourselves under him. I love how this part in verse number seven ties back to humility when it says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. It's almost as if to say, look, all those selfish concerns and worries that come from being prideful and only being concerned with self, cast your cares upon the Lord. He knows what you need. He cares about you. Verses 8 and 9, we're going to look at sobriety and vigilance and resistance. Verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There are two concepts here for Christian faithfulness and two more in the next verse as well. Sobriety. Sobriety can be defined as the state of being sober, that is, not under intoxication, and also able to maintain self-control. Sobriety allows Christians to think straight, to act right, to talk right, to do right. Why? Because he or she controls himself or herself, rather than letting something sinful control him or her. It's kind of hard to be sober under the influence of certain drugs, uh, such as alcohol, Marijuana or harder drugs or what about pornography or what about illicit sexual activity? We have to control ourselves and refrain from such things. Notice also vigilance. This is the idea of being watchful because the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse number nine, we find a couple of, a couple more uh, characteristics of Christians resist him. And so resistance, the Bible does not say, the Bible does not say that we should dally in sin for a little while, that we should sow our wild oats, that we should have a little fun for a little while and and then get our lives right later when we get older. The Bible doesn't say that. First of all, we're not guaranteed to get older. But secondly, this says that we are to resist sin. We are to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Jesus did that. And the devil fled in Matthew chapter 4. So resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Steadfastness is the other virtue that we want to notice here. Essentially, steadfastness is an attitude of keeping on, keeping on. It is an attitude of not giving up. It is an attitude of perseverance. So uh, as Hebrews 12 verse 1 talks about, being surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Steadfastness. Peter goes on to say that the brotherhood throughout the world experiences the same kinds of struggles of persecution and suffering. And again, that is a key theme in 1 Peter so we don't need to give up. We need to understand that this is common. This is normal to face suffering and persecution as Christians. But we need to keep going. Finally, verses 10 through 14, will wrap up our study of 1 Peter. Lord willing, next week we'll go into 2 Peter. But as we wrap up this study, Peter brings about his conclusion, beginning in verse number 10. He says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In other words, Peter says, basically, May you, by God's grace, through your sufferings, for righteousness' sake, remember we've studied that in this book, our sufferings for righteousness' sake, may God, through his grace, get us through our sufferings by being completed or perfected, by being established, by being strengthened, and by being settled in Christ. It kind of reminds me of uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about the wise man building his house upon the rock. So when the rains came, the floods descended and beat upon the house. The house stood firm. Are we settled in Christ? Are are our houses spiritually speaking standing firm? Or are we like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand? fell flat. Well, look at verse number 11. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the point, really, of the whole matter. Just like Solomon concludes the book of Ecclesiastes when he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. And he says he's going to bring uh, all of our works into judgment in the next verse. Peter concludes all of what he has said by saying to him, to God, be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need to remember that. We need to quote that, uh, meditate on that all the time, remembering that the lives that we're living is supposed to be for the glory of God. Verse number 12, by Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Silvanus, Perhaps a scribal secretary, or maybe the deliverer of the letter, or maybe both, but I want you to notice the point being the main part of this verse. This is the true grace of God. If this is the true grace of God, what does that imply? It implies that there could be something called a false grace that really doesn't come from God. And there are many people who teach that. There are people who teach false ideas regarding God's grace. We need to make sure and be on the lookout for that. Verse number 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. A lot of people think that Peter is actually bringing in his family here. Uh They think that maybe she who is in Babylon is Peter's wife. Makes sense. We do know that Peter was uh, married. He had to be if he was going to be an elder. Uh, well, the Bible also talks about Peter's mother-in-law as well. But also he talks about his son. He says, Mark, my son. So this could be his actual son, his blood relative, or some people think that he's talking about his son in the faith, kind of like Paul viewed Timothy as his son in the faith. I don't know, uh, but certainly something interesting to uh, consider and think about. Finally, verse number 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. This kind of reminds me of Romans 16, verse 16, which says, salute one another with a holy kiss. The idea is a customary greeting, an appropriate greeting, of course, a holy uh, greeting rather than an inappropriate one, of course. And then he adds peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed our study of 1 Peter. And uh, certainly, that includes First Peter chapter five that we've looked at this week. Lord willing, next week we will get into the first part of Second Peter chapter one. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.